I tackle issues head on before they happen. And I, I think that, like, I knew I'd need the strongest legs possible going to Connemara. And to tie in the 24-hour Mondello race two months beforehand, like, you know, I'm getting my endurance from training for that event. I'm getting my aerobic capacity and I'm building stronger legs. Like, that's very easy to adapt to the endurance road running then two months later, even though they're, they're completely different in so many senses. Hello, my name is Stephen Murphy, and this is the No Finish Line Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of No Finish Line Podcast. Uh, for this episode, I'm joined by Stephen Murphy. I don't really know how to introduce Stephen, as I'm not sure if he has found his game just yet. But based on his most recent result, I'm going to call him an ultra runner. Stephen is from Kilkenny, but lives in Tullamore, where he's a member of Tullamore Harriers. And he races for them, doing all the club distances. And today, Saturday the 26th of August, he took part in the National Half Marathon. He has also ran a few ultra distance events including a six-hour track race, a 12-hour race on the road. He has done the Curlyway Ultra, which I've featured quite a bit. He's also done a 26-hour track cycle on the motor racing track in Mondello, which is also where we held the 100-kilometer Anglo-Celtic plate back in 2021. And as well as that, he's also done... At least one Ironman triathlon, maybe some more. Uh, we'll get into that a bit more as we get talking. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. Great to be on. It's, a, it's an honour and a privilege. Can you remember when we first met? When did we first meet? I I probably knew about you before you knew about me, John. We'll put it that way. Okay. Uh, I, think, I think one of the first times we met, Probably would have been at the six-hour event in Leaf Slips that you ran. No. We probably... No. It wasn't. What was it? The first time we met was August 2021, and it was on the Wicklow Way. I was running the Wicklow Way with... With Andy. Andy Kenny. And you joined yeah, us yeah. close to the Sally Gap. And you were there with a few others. And there's something I noticed about you on that day... You were picking up rubbish as we went, and I spotted you doing that. Now, you weren't doing it so somebody else could see it. You were just doing it. And I just thought, I, I like that guy. We didn't really talk too much then, but I, I'm not sure how we kind of connected. Maybe uh, we started following each other on Instagram or something like that. But I then suggested to you to do the six-hour race. Maybe I noticed what you were doing through some of the posts that you were doing. So I could kind of see you there in the background. You were, you were all, always kind of popping up. So you did the six-hour race in March 2022. And I noticed that day that you were going really, really well. I noticed that you were very well organized. I could, I could see that everything was kind of pre-planned and you were following the plan to a T and that's kind of the way I would have operated myself because I would have seen myself as lacking in talent but I kind of made up for in the whole planning of, of what I did and if you follow the plan all going well things should kind of happen as it's supposed to be but anyway moving on from that I had 
I think recently suggested to you then to do the 12 hour race in League Slip on the track, which was last New Year's Eve. But did I ask you to do that? I think you weren't available for it. I wasn't available for it, but it was on my mind ever since. And then you've also done the Kerry Way. Now, something I've noticed about you and seeing you taking part in events, I was very surprised with the recent results in the Connemara 100. But although I could see that you had a lot of potential, you were a very, very good athlete, I didn't see you, now, I don't want to be insulting you at that, but I didn't really see you as having that kind of winning mindset. To me, you came across as being a nice guy, that you were more or less the guy who would be supporting everyone else. If you were doing a race and somebody was kind of struggling, that you might be the one to try and encourage them along. That you seem to be helping other people rather than doing something for yourself. I knew you could you could win something big, but I didn't think that you had that kind of drive. Am I right in saying that? You hit the nail on the head, John. And there is there is there was a pivotal point between Okay, well look let's let's get into that. What changed? Or maybe let let's step back a bit a bit. What's your sporting background? Um I suppose when I was younger I never I would have been put forward for every sport. My parents were great. They had me playing all the traditional sports, rugby, soccer, hurling. And I went and I talked out for each, but I never had a grow for any. I never had any return. I never had much of a contribution really, other than being the person that you spoke of that helped out, that is that is help others in reaching their goals. But I never had any sporting ability. I was always heavy as a child and it's something that I still kind of carry with me to this day um, is the, the adversity I felt as a child growing up, not being into sport and not having any, any form of body confidence or pride, pride in, 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 in my future potential, really, if not, if not in the present. Um, so, yeah, time came where I, I just, I always knew that I was better than what I was doing and I was just in a rut. I went through a hard time mentally in, in, in my 20s and not that I had an unhappy time or anything, but I was just frustrated because I, I heard a line in the movie one time and it went, um, there's nothing worse in life than wasted potential. And that just resonated with me, something fierce, and I couldn't shake it. And the more... The more I thought about it, the more paralyzed I was to do anything and make any change. I, I thought <laughs> by the age of 23 or 24, I thought time was running out for me, and which, which really wasn't the case. But it was only when I found running, John, I, from, from, a point of, from a point of absolute low, I went out one day and said I was going to run as far as I could in the, in the local park. And I said, today's going to be day one. And I went out and I said I was going to run a kilometer. I made it 400 meters and I capped. I couldn't go any further, but I had a great feeling of accomplishment. And I pulled a rock out of the ditch that day and put it down on the edge of the trail. It meant nothing to nobody else, but that was my rock. And that was how far I got that day. And if I was to get even 1% better every day, I'd get back to that rock the next day I went out and I'd push it up a little bit further wherever I could. And eventually I made it round the whole loop and I didn't know what to do with the rock anymore. 
it didn't really serve a purpose after that because I'd already been around the loop. That was that was my goal at the time. So like to this day I still I still push that rock on and like it is something that I never rest on my laurels now. I'm so grateful for the opportunity I've been given in life to have identified this passion I have and this talent. Like my, my whole life really does revolve around it now between the superb circle of friends and and like um colleagues for all the world in the endurance series but the people I get to run with the people I can aspire to be like and like and then like work towards becoming uh, an athlete at their level and like every every race you do everything you put yourself forward for it unlocks another room in the library of experience and knowledge so like I I try to align myself with the movers and the shakers with people doing things like myself maybe at a higher level are people that I see traits in them that I really really admire and I try to put that tool into my toolbox as well so like that it's I know my my path today seems a bit sporadic in the sense that I run I cycle I do trail running um, I now do 100 mile road races I've done Ironman. I do, um, like in 2020, I cycled around the entire coast of Ireland, um, solo unsupported, uh, on my bike. And that was really the start of it. But, um, like that, I, I like going off on tangents. I like exploring new areas and fi- get, getting my findings from that and seeing how I, I can apply it into my next challenge or my next role. Um, so like that, I suppose. You've seen that my my sequence of events recently, and coming from Mandela from the twenty four hour, which ties into your last point about my change in mindset. I was really proud of my performance in Mandela twenty four hour. So it was cycling from twelve noon on Saturday to twelve noon on Sunday two months ago now, and it was a test for me. I'd never I'd never cycled for that length of time or. I had no real experience of of what was going to happen past maybe seven or eight hours. But I battled through it. I came fourth in the end. I covered 685 kilometers in the 24 hours and finished in fourth place. It was a a hugely challenging event. And the the three guys that finished ahead of me, who who I follow quite closely now and talk with regularly, they, they are self-defined as enduring cyclists. Now, so, could you stop me there for one I, sec? I, just just as yeah. you mentioned that, with the guys who finished ahead of you and how you follow them. I'd be thinking that in some ways, with your mindset, that maybe out of respect, you didn't f- try to finish ahead of them. Would you be the person who would feel, I don't deserve to be up there? I haven't earned that right yet. And fourth place just happened. You probably didn't force it. I've kind of seen scenarios like this play out where mm. someone kind of finishes a race and then they're having re- regrets over it, knowing they, they could have done better they, or, or they should have done better. And it's down to a lack of maybe self-belief. You do When you mentioned doing that, that challenge, that cycle, around, I was nearly going to like a challenge, but you probably didn't see it as a challenge. You cycle around, around Ireland. But 
there was nobody looking at you, no nobody judging you, no audience. It was just you doing it for you. So it didn't matter when you stopped or it didn't matter if you didn't do it. It didn't matter if you didn't fix that puncture. But when you're in an arena, you're you're being watched. But if you're at a certain position, like the the top few are the ones being watched, the others aren't. Do you think there's... I didn't catch that. Could My Siri is talking back to me there. Do you think there might be a case of you, I suppose, not believing that you deserve to be a bit further up that uh, that rankings? I don't think it was anything that affected me in the race, but it's how I justified it afterwards. I said to myself, you know, there's no way that... that me or anybody else would have expected you to finish ahead of them. Do you know, I, yeah. I, I get them a title to explain why I came forth. Yes. And like that, but like, it's the way I grew up, John, like I've, I still like in, in the silence behind it all, I still feel like I'm that overweight child. That I know. Yeah. Look, I, know, I know exactly what you're talking about. I was 30 when, when I, I started running and mm. I was doing it on my own and again it was away from audience away from witness and I was just doing doing my own thing and I had nothing to be measured against so whatever I did or whatever I achieved didn't matter it was only then later there kind of becomes that tipping point where, where something changes and some people kind of never reached reached that point they don't allow them to or, or they don't kind of cross over to the next level when the opportunity presents presents itself like it was somebody else had said it to me that based on improvements and based on experience that I should be able to do an awful lot better so what I was finding was I wasn't I didn't have that self-belief in myself but the person who was talking to me I trusted them and I said yeah well this person hasn't put me wrong so far so I'm going to believe what they're saying so if they say I can do it I'm going to try and do it rather than just saying, no, no, I can't. And it's a case of not believing to be there. And the first time or the second time I was running or representing at a high level, I had a panic attack and I suffered from really, really bad anxiety. And they, they call it choking because, again, I didn't feel I deserved to be where, where I was. And I'm seeing, seeing that in, in a lot of people where there's that kind of self, uh, that doubt and it, it just comes from not believing in yourself. And it's just as you said that with the three guys that finished ahead of you, how you knew them, you were following them. And again, that's, that's it. We kind of put other people up on pedestals at time. Uh, you know, no, we, we, we do, kind of use them as inspiration, don't we? But it's, it's a hard one to kind of break out of where you you got to, you, you got to kind of take that chance and, and risk Doing, doing risk blowing up, risk doing badly. But you know, having said that, you have you do have to put the work in. And I could see that with you that I I, I knew the way you were training, and you were yeah. always out there. You were getting stuck into races. But I, I just thought at the time that yeah, it was just a little bit of self doubt maybe. And last weekend I, I was watching little little clips of you, and I just couldn't believe it was the same person. I was going to WhatsApp the yeah. changing there. So listen, sorry, go back to this, this cycling Mandela because that really intrigues me. You know, I've done some 24-hour races running, but, you know, if you feel tired, you're not going to fall 
and hurt yourself in the same way you would the bike. If you were to lose consciousness in the bike, you're going to crash like, and you're going to crash into somebody else. So how how was that during the race? Was sleep deprivation an issue? Uh, it was. I did the event two years ago, John, as a team of two. And I actually had quite a bad fall 12 hours into the event. Like, just as you said, sleep deprivation. I, I just don't even remember going into a bend. I remember waking up sliding across the tarmac of Mondello. And I, I got some severe road rash from it. But I, I got up on my bike and got back to the pits. And I got my got a lend of a bike and got back out again after after a brief stint in the back of the, the ambulance. But I said that wasn't going to happen again. So... Look, I did take a, I did get off my bike at one stage this year and went and slept for 15 minutes because, again, I had a scare going through a bend um, and said, I can't let this define, define my race again. Um, it is something I'd be conscious of, but at the same time, I didn't have the admin going into this. I refused to put somebody out of the way to, to act as crew for me which was the first fatal error coming into this. I said, I said, look, I'm only going into this as an experiment myself. I don't want to ask somebody or ask a couple of friends together to, to crew me for an event that I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I have no expectations. And that's the thing, like, if you set the expectations low, it's very easy to exceed it every time. But in the same sentence, like, the, the public court... It's very hard on people who go out and aim high and fail every time. So, like, you know, it's, it's hard to, to justify in, in the quiet moments yourself why you're going to aim to win or why you're going to go into something with a winner's mindset. So normally up until this race or even until like it was the final race that I did it for, you know, I aimed where I knew I'd hit, where I knew I'd strike. And it, ser- it serves nobody, like um, like aiming low. It doesn't serve anybody, and it didn't serve me in that situation because even though I battled harder than anybody out there, I cycled harder than anybody out there, my admin is what let me down. Uh, I had a team of four crewing me that were racing themselves, so I was never a priority for them. Uh, not that they didn't help me, they were brilliant. But like, you know, they, they had their own issues. They had their own fatigue. Um, so I lost time that way. Even my headlights going into it, I knew I'd have to charge my headlights at, at some stage. Um, and I said, I'll pull in and I'll switch them over. Um, at one stage one, I came back in with, a, with an empty headlight and somebody plugged out my other headlight. So I had to go around the track following somebody and only putting on my headlight as I passed the marshals. Um, <laughs> to conserve the energy until the other one um, charged. And, like, you know, that was another error. And just the moral support, knowing somebody was there for me, I didn't have it. I felt like I was out by myself, even though I had fleeting visits from from uh, friends and family. But I suppose after the race, I was talking to Terence, who won it. And, like, he said to me, he said, Stephen, <laughs> you had the winnings of that. Is like, if you come back next year, you have it because um, because you work harder than anybody out there. You just didn't have the experience. He had his lights integrated into a battery attached to his bike. He had all his nutrition on the bike. He didn't have to stop once. 
He had his wife, friends, family all there for him for moral support. And I thought that was that was the difference. But when I finished, I was I was delighted to have done the 24 hours, to have placed highly. Um, and do you know what? I got I got a bit of kudos for it and I had a bit of a swelled head going around and um my my friend, he owns a gym in Kilkenny, Marius, he's a word strong man and he has an incredible mindset. Like like he says to me with racing, he says, Why don't you just go thirty percent faster? He can't get his head around why I can't just run thirty three thirty percent faster and it it's an eye opener, but I went into him after the race and expected to have my ego massaged. And he's the one who said it to me. He threw he said, You threw it away. I'm disappointed in you. And it was very hard to hear. Uh, my friend saying that to me. And he was so frustrated and he was trying to get it, trying to relay his message to me saying, you had it, you went to sleep, you didn't have your stuff prepared. You're bragging about coming forward. He was like, you should have won that. You could have won that. It was your decision not to win it. And you made that decision before the race. And that's why you got the results you did. And that just rung in a bell, rung like a bell in my head, John. Um, but like that was my thinking, and that was my whole campaign coming into Connemara. I knew I was going to win it, John. That was your Rubicon was, moment. It was, it was, it was, because it was, it was just, I just, I won't say I leveled up at that point, John, but it just clicked with me that like. Do you know, the person who comes last in every race can have a winner's mindset. Like, do you know, it, it's, it's not going to be denied to anybody who wants it. Like, it, it's a frame of mind, and it, it doesn't mean that, like, do you know, 100 people can go into the same race with a winner's mindset. Correct, yeah. I know at least five... Like, the, winners, win. the, the winner's mindset is preparing and being willing to win, like, doing everything you possibly can. So you're controlling the controllables, and you're going there not just wanting to take part. You don't have to win, but it's it's wanting to and it's trying to. But doing the best with, with what you have. Uh, and what you said about Marius there and also with the guy, what did you say his name was, Terence, who who won the race from Mondello. I suppose the, yeah, with the two Ray. of them more or less saying the same thing, that, that was obviously, as you said, what helped you going into Connemara. And did you have any, any problem with asking somebody to crew you for that race because it looks like you got a really good crew there. I wouldn't say they took much convincing. No, because, like, I... I'm they looked like they were on holidays. John, John, the crack we had. Like, to be honest, overall experience-wise, you could send me off for a month, all expenses paid on any holiday, but I wouldn't take it over reliving that experience in my head and in my mind and having those memories with my friends of doing something really, really special. And like, I'm a firm believer back from my days of struggling with mental health, that before you go and ask somebody for their help, you need to show intent that you are doing your utmost first and that you're serious because people's time is valuable, John, and people don't appreciate that. I know you probably experienced it too, where people ask you for advice or they ask you for help but they're not meeting you even halfway on it. Um, that's what I find with my friends. Like, I've lifelong friends. I've friends that I've only met of late through adventures and that. 
and competitions and races, but to surround yourself with doers is very powerful. And like that, like I had the same feeling as as before um, the Mondello 24 hour, I said, it's a big ass to ask them to give up their time for me or to, for, for in pursuit of my goals and dreams. But I knew after Mondello, after talking to Terence, after talking to Marius, I knew without doubt, I, I have to ask, like, if, if you ask, it's likely that there'll be a yes. There's a chance of a yes. If you don't ask, it's a no every time. And, and it's just like, it's just, I suppose that I would have thought it was a reflection on my campaign coming up to the Connemara 100. If I was to be rejected, if they were, were to be busy or to say that they just can't give up their time at the moment. So like for, for Brian, Sean and Dan, all to give up their time, resources, and literally act as a team to get through it. Because people only see me me running in that event and think that that I ran the hundred miles solo. But there's not a hope. I could go I could try it a hundred times without the right crew at the right time. I wouldn't do it again. Yes, you you need that attitude behind you and I think it's very important with a crew that they have the right attitude and the right characteristics. Like I always say with choosing a support crew that you pick them based on their characteristics and then you, they learn the skills. I'm looking back to when you did the six hour race, the track race in League Club, you had everything laid out in little kind of tubberware boxes and that like you were yeah. very, very well prepared. You had everything and you were going around yeah. the lap and you could say exactly what you wanted. Uh, to the yeah. to the gram or, or 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 to the actual item, and it was there yeah. ready for you the next time around, and like you were very precise. Uh, I'm not going to mention some of the stuff you were you were looking for, but you yeah you, you were <laughs> you were really slagged over to this day, yeah, yeah yeah but yeah. You, you were, but yeah. Cucumber wife, yeah. <laughs> but you were you were but you you were spot on though with everything everything that you had. So I'm guessing now that when you were in that. Uh, Connemara 100 that everything you possibly needed plus everything you might need was actually there ready for you and then you had I suppose that good vibes and sense of humour pushing you along as well so yeah I yeah, I, I didn't like think I, you were going to get the result you did because there were a few other really good runners in the race including I suppose Paul Toomey and Ned I can't pronounce his surname but you know, those yeah. guys would certainly put it up to you yeah, you had Gary Elbert there. And Gary well. Elbert, yeah, who's uh, done the Spartathlon. Fozzie as well. Fozzie, he's done the Spartathlon as well. So, yeah, you had a lot yeah. of competition behind you. So, it must have taken a lot of confidence to put yourself out there in a race like that. And to, like, it's, hard. it's hard when you're up front because you're, you're, being, it's, you're being chased, so you're being hunted. In some ways, it's nearly easier being the hunter because the same kind of pressure isn't isn't on you. If you catch the person in front of you, it, it's a bonus. But when you're running up front, there's always that fear of being caught. It's difficult. Yeah, I suppose I have a video on my phone from five kilometers out the road into the race and the guy sent it to me. And it was just when we got out of Clifton, it was the first bit of open road and I had taken off my reflectors that we had to have on in the dark at the start and my rainproof jacket. And I threw them to him and I said, I said it to him. I said, the win is mine now until anybody passes me. 
it's mine and it'll stay mine. And that was my philosophy. Like, like it was, it was, I, I set, set the tone for the race as such. Now I know with endurance, it doesn't matter a difference what anybody does in the first hundred K and a hundred mile race. It doesn't like, you know, somebody could be lighting up the track with 10 K to go and could DNF at that. Correct. Um, you're not but, a, with an ultra distance race. You're not winning the race until you've won. I see it so many times. Uh, someone saying, "Oh, I, yeah. everything was going great up until sixty miles, and then the wheels come off." Or I was leading it at this. I was on track all the time. Yeah. With an ultra distance race, it's not over until it's over, and it's very, very easy to be leading a race within the the first quarter, first half. Very, very easy. But a lot of times, people take off too fast, not re- not acknowledging that they did that and then they start to pay the price and they they blame something else they they can't admit that the reason for them being unsuccessful towards the end is because their overall strategy was wrong maybe somebody towards the mm. end of a race being able to run fast enough to start puking or struggling to grow or, yeah. or being able to sprint at the finish of, of a long race that shows that you got your pacing wrong early, or you went too easy on yourself earlier in the race that mm. you weren't able to kind of run that little bit faster but, but kind of smoother you were too comfortable earlier and you had too much energy left at the end that's ba- that's bad race management so to yeah. be able to do what you did is yeah it, it's quite impressive it's, it's you know especially you're not actually running ultra distance racing for that long did you have any possible setbacks during the race any bumps in the road? Any blisters or anything like that? No blisters. Of, well, the weather was quite challenging. Um, it was very windy up there. Very little shelter, very little respite from the wind and rain. There was like sheets of rain falling at times when you couldn't, you couldn't even see. I just had to put my head down, let the visor take the water on my head and and just watch my feet as I went along. Like it was, it was very challenging that way. And then the fact that the rain was so intermittent that I actually stayed for until 110 kilometers. I stayed in the same kit, same shoes, same socks, everything wet for the whole race. So I was very fortunate not to have any rubbing or not to have any blisters. I've recently changed my choice of running shoe. And it, it really, really helped. Um, Paul Toomey was was very informative um, about the shoe he was using. And I, I see Paul's running. <laughs> I see the amount of research he puts into everything he does. So I said I was going to give a pair of Paul Toomey's, we'll call them, <laughs> a go. And they've been great. I used them in the race today. Set a PV, half marathon PV and 10-mile PV. So... Um, it's brilliant and like that not to be afraid to try new things but as far as adversity in the race John I'd really say no because it was just one of them days that I got green lights all the way like I had had been done to such a high level beforehand I had boxes and boxes I had boxes within boxes Uh, I labelled on everything what to do and what eventualities exactly what are in the boxes I had my kits done into bags. I had rain kit, night kit. I had a full 
break down in a medical box of what I'd need at what point if such a thing happened. Like the three guys, like Ryan was in charge of navigation in the van. Sean was in charge of my kit and having everything that I need when I need it. And Dan was in charge of my nutrition and hydration. All I had to do was run. And it just narrowed down my area of responsibility to just the sole core function of running, of staying smooth, of staying steady, of not letting my mind wander to where this is in the van or where that is in the van. And we were so well briefed beforehand. The, the joy of doing it with friends is that you know each other so well and they're so intuitive to my needs at certain times. They know when I need to be left alone. They know when I need to be lifted up. Um, they, they, it's, it's just a, a higher level of communication where some things don't even need to be said to be understood. But uh, as far as adversity went in the race, John, it was one of them times that everything just went right. Now, as I mentioned, I didn't uh, think that you were going to do as well as you did last weekend. And I'd be guessing that other competitors in the race thought the same. You probably weren't looked on as, as a big threat. So in reality... You've had your whole life to get ready for, for this particular race. Nobody knew you. Mm. Now, the next race, you only have a short period of time to be getting ready for the next race as such because everyone's going to be looking at you for the next one. You're, you're going to be, because the competition. Do you think that might affect uh, your mindset going into that? Or have you... What am I trying to say now? How, no, I, how do you think you might actually deal with that when you know that there's a bit more pressure on you, a little bit more kind of attention given to you? You're going to be one of those guys that somebody else is going to be looking at and expecting to do well. I'd hold myself to the same moral standards as, as others would in that sense or that regard. Like, this is, I'm not saying a glow up for me, I'm not saying it's my reveal, but like I've been working hard for a long time behind the scenes and like like finishing a jigsaw puzzle, like if you don't have that final piece, it doesn't come together. It's not complete. And just the change I've had in mindset of late just means that I can pool together other resources, other attributes I have, skills that I've learned along the way. Like I have such a broad range of, of knowledge and experience from, from different events. In running events, I pull from things I've learned in cycling events and vice versa. Um, like it's all like endurance is endurance no matter what. And I, I say I've learned a lot of it from life myself because like them days where you just don't want to get up out of bed or when a day turns into a week, turns into a month, turns into a year of feeling poor about yourself, feeling worthless. Like, that's endurance. Like, you know, turning up every day is endurance, the same as going out on your bike and doing six or seven hour session or doing your long runs. Like, it, it all builds, like, your, your mental aptitude for it. Yeah, so, that's very true, yeah. It is, and people think it's, it's, it's different, but it's not. That's what I have. That, I won't say what I have that others don't, but... I feel fortunate that I don't come from an athletics background or that I haven't had a, a track record to date where people can go online and see all my official results and see my progress over time. 
I like being an anomaly and I like being obscure because you can't, like, you know, what you can measure, you can manage. <laughs> My competitors can't really manage me <laughs> if they haven't got the measure. Yeah, of me. very true. And and I suppose I, that's why I didn't predict what was going to happen last weekend. Like, avoid looking back at your results, like I said, 50 kilometers during the six hour race because you actually stopped when you hit 50k. That right? Did you just ran the 50k that day? Yeah. So yeah. you st- you stopped an hour and a half before the event was over. So if somebody was to look at your six hour result, they get 50k. The 12 hour race that you did, there's no results on the ultra running database for that because it wasn't a certified race. So we yeah. don't we don't have that. You you actually how did how did you get on in that race as well? Ever? How did you how did you find I, running a time based race rather than just a distance based race? And for anybody who's unfamiliar with the two, in a distance based race you have a set distance. And you try to cover that distance within the fastest possible time. So it your your PB is based on the time taken to cover that distance. So say if, if it's 10K and you run it in 40 minutes or you could run it faster than that and that's your PB. With a distance-based race, you have a set time and you try to cover the furthest possible distance within that. So every meter counts. So in a six-hour race, typically you want to be covering beyond 60 kilometers that'd be a minimum of, of 10 kilometers an hour and races would probably be worn at around 80 90 kilometers so there are the two so how, how did you find the distance ba- sorry the time-based race in comparison to a, a distance-based race well look it was it was my first time-based race and i know in some ways you're probably thinking why would you stop after four and a half hours when it's a six-hour race <laughs> but I literally went, you know, like on a whim. I think I'd only messaged you a day or two before to say, John, could I come up and run this? And you said I could. And it was uh, it was just different the tour. Really. It was curiosity more than anything. And I was happy to go away with a 50K time because um, like that, I hadn't a 50K time before. And I didn't know what it's like running around track over and over again. Um, I didn't know how how my admin would transfer across maybe from trail running or ultra cycling to an event like this. And I just wanted to see how, how my mind would cope with it. And to be honest, at the time, it's not something I enjoyed. <laughs> I enjoyed as much as I did, but I just didn't see the point in going further, which is bad to say because I like to see everything through. But I got my 50K time at four hours, 25 minutes. And I said, look, I've, I've garnered a lot of data from this and I'm just going to go away happy with it and and just rest on it for a while and, and, and see my takings from it, see do I like it, see do I not like it. Like with many things, like I've, I've tried so many different sports now and so many different, I suppose, disciplines of running, of cycling. Um, look, it's hard to split your time between everything you want to do, everything you want to accomplish. Like one thing about me, John, is I'm, I'm never bored. I'd love, I'd love to know what boredom feels like because maybe it's making up for the years I lost in my 20s, but if I had 48 hours every day, I'd fill it. I'd just do more and more and more. And uh, like that, to, to go out on the track at that time, at that point in my life, I just said, this isn't for me. <laughs> And that's um, and that's ultra running like a, a track based distance race mm. is mentally challenging to be going around a track for twenty four hours 
with very, very little stopping, to be able to keep yourself going that same loop, but all you have to look forward to is a change in direction. That's pure ultra running. And yeah, that's where yeah. the mental side of it comes in. And to be able to pace yourself and manage your nutrition and everything else and keep yourself going for that full 24 hours. Like with a distance-based race, the faster you go, the quicker it's over. If you go faster in a, in a time-based race, you're just making yourself hurt that bit more. So you got to have everything, everything like spot on. Really, really difficult. Now, you and mentioned trail running. You did the mm-hmm. Kerryby Ultra back in 2021. You finished 10th. It's quite, quite respectable. But in hindsight, as you look back at that, do you think you could have done better in that race if you know if you knew then what you know now? Now, I don't really like saying that to people. If you, if you knew then what, what you know now, what would you have changed or whatever? But what do you think? Could you have done better in that race? How did you feel at the end of it? That's usually a, a tell. I could. I was a broken man at the end of okay, it. Okay, well, then you couldn't. Okay. The, no, but at the same time as saying that, I could have... Look, we don't know what had happened in different in different scenarios. To be honest, what the, the outcome that was achieved was optimal in every sense of the word, given the given the, the varying outcomes there could have been um, that were assessed before the event. Would you but, think you uh, could have prepared like, better? No, I was very well prepared. Okay. I was very well crewed for that. But at that time, I had a coach. I was training with Shane Finn down in Dingle. And Shane was instrumental in that success um, for that event. And it's like that. It's like I outsourced my confidence to somebody else by by employing a trainer. Um, like, you know, I didn't have the self-belief, but he believed in me. And he pushed me and he trained me to a point that he believed I could perform and achieve. And I was literally only being brought along for the ride, really. Like it was only halfway through that race. It was only in Waterville when I came alive. I was running the race solo. And then I joined up with my friend, Connor O'Keefe. I met him along the trails and I found security and comfort in running with Connor. Now we got to Cahar Daniel and unfortunately Connor had to hold back. He was having stomach issues and I'd never felt such fear as as Connor's partner Mel running over to me and saying, like I was just gloating about how well me and Connor were going to run and finish together. We we're saying, right, if we finish together, we'll literally cross the line at the same time, so they can't say which one of us came first or second or which, whatever. And I was distraught when Mel came over and told me Connor isn't going to be going back out with you. We were running into the dark, into the night. Um, it was lonely, it was barren, but I learned a lot about myself and I pushed so hard from Waterville the whole way back to Killarney. It was relentless and it was, there's a few points in my life where I've unlocked this level of flow. Uh, like I, I unlocked it in Connemara for longer than I ever have, but where I'm unstoppable, John. Like it, it'd, take, it'd take something serious to stop me. Um, and I see it in other people as well when when they achieve the same thing. And I think it is the winner's mindset. It all comes back to that. But I powered the whole way back to Clarny. And visualization was a big thing for me at that point that I unlocked. And just that I had been at the finish line 
the day before and I'd spent time standing in front of that finish line with my eyes open, with my eyes closed. And I'd say if anybody was looking at me, they, they must have thought I saw an apparition or something. But just to get just to get that finishing podium, whatever signifies the finish line, just to have a taste of that the whole way through the race and that you can keep relaying back to that, just being like, this is the point where I know that I've done enough, the point that I know that I can stop. But until I get to this point, there's no stopping. There's no giving up. Like, like in Connemara, it was a few times that I thought, like, say, if, if my crew on the bike had went to catch up with the van uh, when it was inside, I thought to myself, if I just lay down on the road here for two minutes, I don't think the lads would know. Nobody would know. And then I could get up and run on. It'd be lovely. <laughs> but I'm now, never going to do that. But like, sorry, go on. So when you mentioned that point in the Cable Ultra where Connor stopped, what stopped mm. you from stopping? I think at the time I did even offer to wait for him. Um, it was what stopped me from stopping was that I now the reason I'm asking so that question much. is if, if you were kind of making yeah. an, an agreement in your head maybe to make the race a bit easier for you that we'll finish together we'll cross the line together and then something changed and you were on your own that in itself must have been quite difficult making an agreement really with somebody was. like that is almost like almost like giving up because yeah, you were taking, the, you, you didn't, gone, you yeah. didn't want to be racing. Then you just wanted, you want the company. And I've often been in races where you might run with somebody a little bit, and you're, you know, you're you're kind of going at a pace where you're helping each other, and that is taking mm. the comp- competition out of it. Uh, so the fact that you kept going, that that didn't make you stop, because well, stopping can be, you know, contagious. Yeah. You know, especially when you're feeling tired, sleep deprived, hungry, feeling sorry for yourself, it can make it easier. So, how did you keep going? Well, I was rattled. I won't. I won't lie. I was very rattled, and my crew were very concerned about me as I headed off because they said I just had a blank look in my eyes. Like, <laughs> you know, the whole sequence of events planned from there on was gone. <laughs> like it was. It was. It was back to forming a new plan and putting on my head torch and heading off into the night and, you know, barely fatigued by that stage. Um, but it's where left alone with your own thoughts. And was, really it, do. Yeah. was it a fear of being alone or that you were out in somewhere unfamiliar, you might get lost, you didn't know what was, what was around the corner? It was everything, John. It was, it was the vulnerability of the whole situation in that, that I was exposed to threats that I wasn't when I was with Connor. Like we had pooled resources. Like if, if I needed salt tablets and he had salt tablets, we have salt tablets or we have whatever both of us have individually. And like, you know, that's, that's tremendous about the trail running and the ultra running is the sensitive community that like, if I had a bottle of water, it was my last, if, if it was the last of my water, but if somebody needs it worse than me, they get it. <laughs> like, even though, like I fixate on having kit of being prepared. There is a, 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 a higher sense of order that, that you do help others. But in this situation, I went off 
thinking like, Jesus, Connor's experience now, Connor's experience is gone. I don't have that to rely on. I said, Connor's already ran this race. Connor's wrecked this course. He's done huge races. It was a lack of confidence in my own ability and my own experience. And it wasn't until I settled myself that I did a stock take on what I do have. Like, fair enough, up to then it's what I was losing from the time me and Connor parted ways. But from from the lowest point I got to, I got to build back going, what do I have? I said, I have a good placing in the race at the minute. Like, unfortunately, Connor's not feeling well, but I'm feeling well. I've good legs under me. I've good engine. I've good training put in. I've good crew with me. All I need to do is stop thinking about the whole way to the finish line. Like, forget about that. Forget about the 80 kilometers left in the race. It's to the next crew point. It's to the next checkpoint. And what I need to do then at that next checkpoint is I need to instill confidence in my crew again because I'm after causing a wobbler for everyone in this. I said, I need to get back to them, get in good shape, give them the confidence that they're going to give back to me down the line. And we rebuild. We, we just like, you know, it, that was an uncontrollable. And Mentally, how did you feel at that finish line? Mentally, at that finish line, I just felt it was overwhelming, to be honest, um, because <laughs> finish lines, indeed, like it, it was in a petrol station down on the on the on the Ken Mayer Road out of Clarny. Like it's very underwhelming as a finish line, like for somebody else to see. But that was like that was like heaven's gates for me coming up to that, just to like be able to go through the range of emotions see your family to see my girlfriend to see your peers that have already finished see the elation they have for seeing you doing your very best and achieving what you set out to achieve it's 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 the sweetest taste that you go after over and over again and it's not it's not all external in the sense that that it's, it's what others think of you that's not what i mean in any way no, it's, res- it's respect. You, you've you earned the respect. It is. And I'm kind of curious yeah. now to know, will you be doing the Kerryway Ultra again? It's on next weekend, so I'm hoping you're not going to say next weekend, but is it a, or are you? You're not doing No, next... I have. No, I have. I've, I've, I've been helping a few along the way with it, and I will be showing my support down there. But I have a good friend's wedding the same weekend, and he crewed for me last year down in Kerry. So, um, no, this time I'll be going to the wedding. That's and probably sensible. You know what, it was, look, I'm delighted because I had, a, I had a bad time last year. I got very, very sick two days before the race after a tremendous um, training block coming up to it. I, I, I may have just peaked too early. I put it down to food poisoning. I don't think it was food poisoning because it's something I see in athletes over and over again that whatever it is at, at, at crunch time that, that stomach just wreaks havoc. I couldn't keep down any food and like, like that with any endurance. It's, it's about nutrition as it is as much as it is, if not more than it is about physical ability. Um, so, so that, that ended my race last year at 60 kilometers. Um, and I would have been going back with a, with a vendetta this year, uh, which wouldn't have been a right way to approach it because, 
that race you have to give the utmost respect to. It's a, it's a beast of a race. Now, you've thrown me another um, curveball there when you mentioned uh, <laughs> peaking too soon coming up to the race. Yeah. What, what I notice now with a lot of athletes and some coaches as well, they don't manage the training load effectively. And just before a race, they're getting themselves injured or they're just suffering from something like over overtraining syndrome. They don't always realize what's going on, which makes it harder to actually deal with it. How do you yeah. manage your training load? Because I am guessing that you have a high, do a high volume of training because to do well in a 100-mile race, you have to be running long, big distances over the course of a week. So there has to be that density in your training plan. I've seen guys going into 100-mile races, not even covering 100 miles in any training week. Maybe they might even cover 100 miles in a month. And then they're wondering why they didn't actually finish the race or they get injured when they start to try and do a long run. So they're not doing enough training in the base building period, and then they end up doing too much. And sometimes they just get carried away with posting on Instagram and wanting to show off certain training sessions there and to get themselves injured. So the training load isn't being managed effectively. How do you manage your training and stay injury-free? Again... I don't have a trainer at the moment. I, I'm just intuitive with my training and it's working really well for me at the minute. And, and so I'm just going to stop you there for a sec. Yeah. And I'm guessing that with all the cycling that you've done, including the cycling yeah. modello, that you're doing a lot of very low intensity training, something that would be classed on the scale as zone one, maybe lower zone two. So there's a lot of base in Jordan. So your body is able to handle other stuff like the fact that you ran so well in the half marathon today while you're running ultra distant races shows that you must have a, a really, really big aerobic engine, that your aerobic capacity must be, must be quite high. So you're probably always running within yourself. Yeah, look, I like my, my aerobic engine is what I, what I really pride myself on. And it's something that I really work to maintain like that. It's cross training is, is what keeps, what keeps me sustainable. Um, like and what, would, what would you call cross training? Just diversification. Like, even though like you could say, right, how do you train for a hundred mile road race? And people would say you run high volume on the road. Like, you know, simulating, race settings but there's more to it than that like i do a lot of my training in the hills and on the on the trails i just find it more sympathetic to your joints and i find it just builds more robust leg muscles tendons um i'd have quite strong feet and this all stands to you in a hundred mile race on the road but like that like rather than skipping a training session if i'm tired i adapt it I'll go to the pool instead or I'll do a strength session or if I identify an area of weakness, I work that into my training plans that I might work that into my strength schedule. Look, a lot of it does come down to volume overall at the end of the day. Like you could say I'm a bit obsessive over it, but I, I just love it. I train morning and evening, Monday to Friday. Then I'll generally do long sessions Saturday, Sunday. 
uh, <laughs> it does sound like a, a huge volume, but if you break it down to how much I run, how much I swim, maybe then subsections, how much I run on the road, how much I run on the trails, um, what time I spend on the bike, it's all time very well spent. And it's, it's I suppose it's like rather than just having having like a relief plaster work, I, it's, it's, it's a full statue that it's 360 that like, I've no, I've no points that I'm embarrassed about, or I've no weaknesses that I'm afraid of in the sense that I tackle issues head on before they happen. And I, I think that like, I knew I'd need the strongest legs possible going to Connemara and to tie in the 24-hour Mondello race two months beforehand, like, you know, I'm getting my endurance from training for that event. I'm getting my aerobic capacity and I'm building stronger legs. Like, that's very easy to adapt to the endurance road running then two months later, even though they're, they're completely different in so many senses. Um, yeah, look, I think it, it's... it's it's just not to have a uniform training plan like that. Like coming up to Connemara, I split my running between morning and evening. So I was doing for three weeks in the lead up to it, I was running 15K in the morning, 15K in the evening. Every day. Well, sorry, Monday to Friday. Then I was doing a long run Saturday and maybe a, 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 a long spin on the bike Sunday. But all that was done at the exact pace I held throughout the whole race in Connemara. So my body was attuned to running over and over again. And you and ran about five minutes a kilometre for that race, wasn't it? Which was five minutes a kilometre. Exactly eight minutes a mile for somebody who's listening from overseas. Yeah. And that would be the equivalent of a 330 marathon type pace? Yeah, 327 was the best marathon time that I did um, throughout, the, throughout, throughout the race. Um, which is great. I did. I finished with a with a twenty one minute five k, which which was was brilliant. You know, it's kind of I suppose, yeah, testament to, to how my, how my body coped with the event. Like by no means did I drag myself over that line. I I, I powered over the line, and in a lot of the ways, <laughs> one of my biggest regrets from it is that. I didn't have it put to me during the event. Do you know, I, I took the lead from the start and I held the lead and like, it's not taken away from the other runners. Like Ned, there was one stage where we were coming up out of a long valley and Ned was coming down into it and my crew seen him, his crew seen me, but his crew, they, he told me after the race that they stopped and they just said, we're not chasing them. That's kamikaze pace. <laughs> Right, that's interesting. I I would have actually put money on on Ned to win the race. So that that's really interesting, and yeah. it is a gutsy thing to do to lead from the go, because you're always under under pressure, and if you're under pressure and you can be have that kind of heightened state of awareness, and your heart rate will be elevated, so it is a lot mm. more pressure on you, and you know it can it can kind of lead to other issues. So that was really, really good. And I liked your answer there about cross-training. Like that, that was very informative. And what you mentioned about going to the pool, that mightn't be what we'd see as uh, specificity of training. But when you're in the pool, you're, you're still working your, your heart and lungs. And so your aerobic engine is still being challenged. Mm. And 
stressed and it's uh, it's been forced to adapt and your heart doesn't know the difference between whether you're running cycling or, exactly. or swimming it's still it it's it's working and so yeah. you're getting you're getting to do your your zone one and your zone zero training while also giving the legs some little bit of a rest while not really giving them a day off now let's talk a little bit about recovery how much mm. uh, uh, value do you place on recovery um, look I I, 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 I play I, I place a high value on it but at the same time I work at a desk from 9 to 5 Monday to Friday that's my recovery time <laughs> I, I, I spend 9 to 5 in the office I work from 5 to 9 that's what I say because uh I do put a high priority on sleep. Okay, um, look, let's let's hold, pause there now for a sec because I I end up coming up with more questions and I'll be forgetting stuff. So I'm I'm being rude, but I, I just want to yeah. hold you on this now. What you mentioned, sitting at a desk nine to five, is your job stressful? So you're sitting at the desk. You can say you're getting a chance to re- rest your legs. Uh, some people mightn't have a very ergonomic seating position so they might you know mightn't be doing themselves any favors being sitting down for a long time but mentally you also need to uh rest that side of things because with an ultra distance event there's an awful lot of uh i suppose you're using an awful lot of mental energy having to concentrate on what you're doing with a short fast race if you lose concentration you end up slowing down with an ultra distance race you lose concentration you end up going a little bit too fast. You go a little bit too fast over a period of a period of time. You start to use that bit more energy, and there is a a problem with uh, managing the energy balance because getting food and water or, or fluids into you can become a lot more of a challenge as you get longer into a race. So mentally, you do have to unwind. And although we can say that. An office job, a sedentary job, can be a way of resting. It it can still be mentally challenging. Like if you were playing video games all day, it is mentally taxing. What's your job like? Yeah. Are you under stress? Look, my job is my job is stressful. I I manage. manage, Look, it's not. You know, that's a lie. My job is busy. It's not as stressful as other jobs. When when you when you finish work, my job is stressful. Is work finished or is there stuff in your head? It is. That and that, that, no, no, that's one thing. Look, I work, I'm very lucky. The employer I work for, I don't bring a phone home from the office. I don't bring a laptop home from the office. I compartmentalize my work day between nine and five. And I put the same effort into my work during them hours that I do into myself outside of those hours. But I am very fortunate that, like I see people that are self-employed um, and the challenges they have. I see, just look, with my running partners, some of them have family, some of them have um, parents dependent on them, some of them have very stressful jobs, some of them have no jobs. Like, you know, everybody comes from different walks of life, but I think I'm very privileged in the sense, and it's sac- sacrifices as well, but I don't have kids I don't have anybody dependent on me I've kind of made this everything for me now at the moment in the sense like I don't even like I don't have a girlfriend at the moment I've kind of kind of 
allocated this time in my life at this point in my life to focusing on myself and building a routine and building a better Stephen Murphy than has ever existed, then I'll better serve people in the future. But it's a bit of recourse that I'm going through at the moment. And it's something that I need to do for myself before I can, before I can kind of give back to others. But when it comes to recovery, as you said, I think having a clear mind in that sense that I'm not being selfish in, in what I'm doing, that, that, it's not affecting other people that I train as much as I do. Like <laughs> that, that, that serves me a lot of liberty from it, but I don't think I put the emphasis on it that other people do on rest. I'm very highly driven. I, I don't watch TV. I listen to podcasts most of the time. Um, like just because I can do it on the move, I'm always moving, but my philosophy these days is either you use the energy or the energy uses you. So I'd rather, I'd rather be holding the reins on it and putting it to use. I sleep better. I eat better. I present myself better for those who need me in work or my family. So I, it is, <laughs> it is hard to justify how I can do the volume of training I do with the level of recovery I achieve but it is intuitive again and it is something that like when my body says no I listen to it or if my body gives me any warning signals that that's when I, I take preventative action that's when I'll take a week off running and get into the pool when I'll get to bed earlier when I might take a step back from projects in work um, it is very reactive but I'll just say there's no fear of me <laughs> having too high of a too high of an importance on recovery. We're a week out from the 2023 edition of the Kerryway Ultra. If you were doing yeah. it next week, what would mm. your final week be like? Your week leading into the race, what would you do or what would you not do? I'd maintain I'd be doing a very, very low volume. I'd be focusing on my admin, which I'd have done like three days before a race, nothing gets touched. Like everything's put away. Everything is as it will be. Um, I just literally spend time with friends and family and, and I completely deload the training because like when you're going to, when you're going to have a mammoth ask, if your body like that, uh, it's, it's not fair to stay training into it. And a lot of the time, and I would have done it previously, It'd be due to insecurity that you'd go out and try get them long runs in far later than you should be, just that you don't have trust in your process. But I find now when I have such a concrete strategy going into it, right or wrong, that's my game plan. That's what I'm running with. I have my training plan coming into it. I have my nutrition plan and I have my admin done for the race. Like, so when it comes to it, it, it really is, textbook like there's nothing left to chance or nothing left to, to second guess closer to the time um so it is generally just visualization of what's to come and and like that just mentally prepare yourself for what you're about to put your body and mind through and spending time with family and friends is probably the way to uh mentally recharge it's a bit of a, it's a distraction 
and something that kind of would suppose, keep you in a positive mindset, hopefully. And it keeps you grounded too, because like coming up to these events, like especially Ironman, for anybody out there who's done an Ironman, it's, and I know you were, you were down in y'all last weekend, it consumes you. Like I was like two months before I did Ironman, going from like in February, I couldn't swim. I thought I could swim. I couldn't swim. I got into the pool. I couldn't even complete a length. I was having panic attacks. I was hugely anxious in the water. Last weekend's events with, with the Ironman swim really didn't help. And I know a lot of nervous swimmers who who um, who have adverse effects from that unfortunate. Now I'm going to put event. a disclaimer in there. I was in y'all, but I wasn't actually doing the Ironman. I was I was one of the the spectators. Just, just in case yeah, anybody yeah. was thinking that, that I was taking part, and, and have I haven't done one. I know, but I was kind of thinking myself, I'll, 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 I'll take this now because somebody will just make that assumption. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say anything, John. Fair play. <laughs> but I left that one live. But uh, like, it's, it's all consuming, and you have to go back to the fundamentals of the fact: Are you doing this as a professional athlete? Are you doing this as an aspiring? semi-pro athlete or you're doing this for a challenge within your capabilities and resources and and what, you did, and what did you do it as now so you better get inside sidetracked now from the Kerryway Ultra to the Ironman but when you went into the Ironman what did you do it as mm. I did, did it as a challenge as a challenge like, okay just how much importance did, like, right, how much importance did you place on your bike for that did you spend much money on it I did do you want to know how much I spend or is it a yes or no? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just curious about I that spent, because I did notice I, that. I spent last year's savings on doing the right, Ironman. Let's... I saved no money last year. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that leads to some don't other... Audit, don't audit me on right, it. Okay, <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's get back to the Calgary Ultra. You're in Tullamore. The race is on next Friday. When would you yeah. travel down to Kerry and how would you get there? Would you drive? Would you have someone to drive you? Would you go by train, camper van? What would you do? I'm trying to work out no. what the best suppose, game plan would be for somebody going down. I'd be driven down Wednesday morning and I'd be going out for a run somewhere along it. Probably what I'd be doing would be working out your lines through Muckers Park and back because for all the ground you travel within the, whatever they say, between 185 and 200 kilometers of track, the hardest part to navigate is from Torque Waterfall back to the finish line. To find the most efficient way through Muckers Park, both going out and coming back, is hugely important. So that's why I'd be going down on the Wednesday morning being driven down so I could conserve energy and I would be going out and working out my lines through that park. I'd be getting checked in. I'd be getting my food in order in the fridge, which would be prepared beforehand. I'd, I'd be bringing all my own food down. Um, I'd, because then you want to get to enjoy it as well. You want to like, you know, like you don't want to let the experience of these things pass. Uh, it's nice to be organized that, you can go out and enjoy registration, that you can go down and spend a bit of time with fellow competitors, getting your race numbers, seeing who's around, soaking in the buzz because 
like just for a bit of hype it goes a long way just to let yourself be fully consumed by what it is you're doing and and how unusual and astonishing it is because you I find you surround yourself with amazing people doing the same things and it starts to lose effectiveness um towards when you say it to somebody that maybe doesn't run or maybe somebody that runs at a park run distance to go out and say you're doing it uh it is it is hugely impressive um but yeah just enjoy it that way and i suppose before the race to have things to have things organized the way you want them for after the race because like that i love the i love the idea that there's no finish line there's not like you know you don't you don't become a superstar when you cross that finish line you have to get back you'll have to get your things packed up the next day from your accommodation to leave and there'll be all little things that you want to, you'd like to have had done beforehand that you don't. But I think what's hugely important for me, John, is, and I know I'm jumping around the place here, but uh, partly my fault. As soon as, no, <laughs> as soon as you cross that finish line, at the earliest opportunity, to take out a paper and pen and write as much as you can about the whole experience, about things that you don't even think are a factor in it. Write down how your nutrition went how you feel at that point that your training went, what you would have done differently, because all this stuff dissipates so quick. Like, you only remember what you remember a month or two on from it or by your next event. Um, like, there's so much. And again, it comes back to data or data. Like, yeah. to take that's the a learning re- yeah. from that. That's a really good point. It's, it's generally when something goes wrong, they'll be kind of look back to see why did it go wrong but when something goes right mm. you don't look always look back to see well why did it go right and then it could have been a fluke and it's very easy to forget so the reason it went right might not be the reason why you got the results you did it be, could be because somebody else dropping out you could have taken a wrong, a wrong turn to it. but it's always yeah. good to actually look back and see what actually did I do right this time what shoes are I wearing where was I eating how much fluids it'll take on board as much as you possibly can and even you know doing a root cause analysis that goes back beyond exactly, the start yeah. line and that's the reason why I'm asking you when would you go down because they are important pieces of, of the puzzle if, if you leave it till the last minute to go down you're, you're panicking mm. and you're going to start compromising with what you're doing and yeah. it's very easy to make mistakes and you get complacent and if you care about what you're doing, if you're invested enough to be putting this much time and effort into what you're doing, you have to give yourself the best possible chance of success. And we all measure success in different ways, but I think actually getting to the finish line, that mm. in itself is, is, is a win. Getting to the start line is a win in itself, but getting to the finish line, that's what you've invested that year for. And what I'd also say is to someone who has made the effort to train for an event like this, if something happens, like there, there are numerous amount of reasons why you might not get, get to the finish line and you've got to be sensible. But ask yourself the question when you're stopping, do I need to stop? Could I keep going? And you have to be honest with yourself. But if you fail an exam, it doesn't mean that you don't know the subject that you have been studying. It just means you can't answer those questions. 
but it's all the learning that has brought you up to that point of being able to sit the exam. That knowledge is, is, is inside you and it's there to be used forever. So every, everything counts, every, everything matters. And what you mentioned about there being no finish line, I might actually do a solo podcast someday, you know, explaining my thoughts on no finish line and how I actually started out. And I did have a finish line and that finish line also almost brought me back to the, the beginning again, but I moved on from that. But that's, mm. that's uh, another story. Now, you've given lots and lots of great advice there, a l- lot of tips, and it was great to actually get a chance to, to talk to you. And I am conscious that we uh, set ourselves a time on this because you have, you have to be somewhere later on. So we have a bit of a time constraint. You've just finished the race, and you're going out this evening. Mm. So is there anything exactly. else that you want to think we should mention? Or could you recommend a book on training or recommend a book or a podcast? Or um, Look, I love listening to, I did a podcast recently um, with the Runner's Diary down in, down in Cork. I've heard of them. They, they give a, Sh- Sinead Kane yeah. did a podcast with them there. She did. And, recently. I, I, and that's kind of Cork-based podcast I it is but they actually Brian and Damien they're brilliant they give all the results from the races of the week around the country and there's a real community aspect to it and I, I really really enjoy that um, I listen to a lot of triathlon I listen to the triathlon hour a lot um, just because it um, I find triathletes very inspiring in the sense that of course they have three separate disciplines to train for but just hearing their different mindsets around um, training. I'm also listening to uh, one at the moment of Evan Lynch. You'd know Evan Lynch, I'd say, uh, the Fuel Better podcast. Um, it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's, like, it's just little nuggets of information that you can garner from anywhere. Like One of the best inspirational books I've read of late is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. It's... Um, it's the autobiography of Phil Knight, who's the creator of Nike, and just hearing his story and I suppose all the challenges he faced to, to become what he is today. Um, after that, really, I don't know what I well, did. That, I that's I enough. To, really. do, you, do you have a next race in mind? Yeah, it's, look, John, on the back of like no finish line, that's, that's what I always say, literally, where where one one side of the finish line says finish, the other side says start. Even with Connemara, like Connemara was a three-point race, point race for me or three-part race because I had to race Connemara. Once I crossed that, that finish line, I had to race to be race ready for Tullamore. Yeah, your your club didn't care. Your club didn't care that you've just done a hundred miles. You had to tug out for them. Your club responsibilities. <laughs> but it is, and that's the, that's something hugely important. That if if there was one point I'd like to really emphasize and share, is do it for more than just yourself. To be part of a club is phenomenal. Like I've I never ran with a club before. I always done my own thing. And I said, look, I don't fit in in a club. I do my own thing. I go running in the hills. I, I, I like training solo. But since joining the Tullamore Harriers in February, it's brought on my running so much. 
um, the, the, le- the sense of community around it. I know now that anywhere I go in the country, if I'm relocated to work tomorrow, I find a running club. You automatically have a network of like-minded people around you that want to see you do better, that want to work with you to do better as a whole. It, it It's phenomenal. And like you said at, at the start of the podcast, that you always saw me as somebody who likes to help others or might be seen as, as, a, as a helper rather than as a, a goal-orientated athlete I want to be both like even when I finished the race today it's little things that I didn't even notice like there was a guy um, he was running we were were running the same pace for maybe the last 5k but he started to drop off in the last 2k Um, but anyway I I didn't even realise it at the time but he came up to me after the race and he was like Stephen Thank you so much. He's like, when I was feeling weak, you gave me a slap on the back and said, go on, you didn't run this far to stop now. I didn't even remember saying it to him. And I was probably talking to myself at the time. But he was like, you helped me achieve a PB today. I wouldn't have done it without you. Without you. But I've had experiences like that myself where somebody else has done that for me. And that's the power of community. And being part of a running club or running for running for a team it, 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 it's just a higher level like if you're only celebrating your own wins how often do you get to celebrate if you're celebrating the wins of hundreds of people around you you get to celebrate every day of the week every day of the year so yeah, that, like, that's a great attitude yeah and with a grassroots yeah, athletic club it's very good value you're supporting the community and it, it is community so I think yeah, if anybody's looking to improve their running, a grassroots athletic club, and you'll have just yeah. a, a wealth of knowledge and information there. And you've guys who've been running maybe for as long as you've been alive, if not longer. Yeah, and everybody loves to see new members. People have such kind of anxiety about joining some of these clubs that they won't be good enough, that they're that they're not experienced enough, that their times aren't good enough. There's a place for everybody in every club and everybody that comes to a club brings something to the club. So like, it's easy to say when I've already crossed that line into being in the club. And I, I would have known I was, I was a decent runner at the time, but I still had that same anxiety that people have that might have only got into running and they see people going out as a group running, but it makes things so much easier. Like if I go up to the Harriers, at half five, there'll be somebody there to run with. I'll go out with people different all the time. You go out with people that are faster than you, they'll bring you on. You go out with people that are slower than you, you get a chance to share knowledge and bring them on. Like it's, 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 it, it is something really powerful. And I suppose I have been part of a lot of undefined clubs up until that being my, my circle of friends or communities, I'll say, which are very similar to clubs. But uh, just, just to get involved, it makes everything so much easier. And like that, your exponential learning and experience from having, having the pooled knowledge of others as well, like it, it's unrivaled. There's no way to improve your running quicker than joining a club. I, I, I'd make that broad statement and I'd stand to it. Okay, let's leave it at that. So if you enjoyed this or any of the other podcasts, you might consider leaving a review. 
pass it on to a friend and until next time thank you Thank you.